You're listening to the Degrees of Freedom podcast. Conversations about higher education in the 21st century between students and teachers. Produced at the University of Cornell. Hi everyone and welcome back to Degrees of Freedom. We're here with Sophie and Liga to talk about diversity and inclusion. This is our sixth episode of this season and my last one actually, so I'm, I'm quite sad about that, but I'm also very excited to talk about this topic today. Unfortunately, Tassos couldn't be here, so I'm joined with Malcolm, who is my successor, as a new co-host, and I'm very excited to welcome him today as, as he was featured, I think, a couple of episodes ago. But great to have you back. Thank you. So, yeah, we can start talking a little bit about diversity and inclusion as a whole. I'll first start by Sophie and Liga introduce themselves. Uh, yes, hello. Thank you for having me on the podcast. So, yeah, my name is Liga, Liga Kjavinja, teacher at the psychology department. And I think the reason why I'm here at the podcast today is that I have, in addition to trying to apply more inclusion in our teaching, in the first year especially, I also have been involved in Teaching Academy of Groningen, setting up an interfaculty community of practice for teachers, focusing on inclusion and diversity in their teaching and learning. So I think, yeah, I'm here to talk about my experiences in this project and beyond. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for inviting me indeed and uh, addressing this important topic. I'm Sophie Lorraine and I'm a fourth year PhD student in sociology. And I'm here as co-founder and former chair of IBSS, which stands for Inclusion at Behavioral and Social Sciences. As a working group, we try to promote diversity and inclusion in our faculty. That's great. Thank you so much, guys, for coming. I think we can start with maybe the biggest question and the most difficult question. Of course, diversity and inclusion is a, an enormous topic across all faculties, across all walks of life. And we will only scrape the surface um, with this podcast, but it, it will definitely be um, the start of many interesting podcasts to come um, that we will release. But first of all, what does diversity and inclusion mean to you? Yeah, indeed, it's a very broad topic. I think when we talk about diversity, that goes into a, vi- a variety in backgrounds, so different backgrounds, and can base this in categories, as is done in social psychology, for instance. And we look at these categories and the intersection of these categories, and then categorization mainly focus on marginalized groups so including but not being limited to uh, women people of color lgbtq plus individuals so indeed it it's it's very broad and when we talk about uh, inclusion that relates more to uh, belonging appreciation authenticity and facilitating uh, equal opportunities so equity and these equal opportunities uh, in our university can help making a safe learning environment. Yeah, thank you, Sophie. I think I, I would also agree to this broad perspective, and I think our university also promotes that kind of broad perspective on diversity and inclusion to uh, embrace all different categories. And uh, maybe you mentioned intersectionality. I think that's often overlooked, and I think mm-hmm. that's important to acknowledge that and, and give even more attention to people who may belong to uh, two marginalized or underprivileged categories at the same time. So for example, women of color. And um, with uh, inclusion, I think it's important maybe to distinguish more from the psychological understanding of it, psychological inclusion, with authenticity, being able to be yourself, and uh, feeling belongingness within your community, within your program, within your university. And um, I think there's another more policy-related understanding of inclusion is that 
well, people would have a voice or there would be a structural support or mechanisms for people to seek um, ways to express their needs and, and wishes within the study program. Yeah, so in, in I've done some research within the first year students that we try to focus on the psychological experience of inclusion, how it is to be, how does it feel to be included? Mm-hmm. I think that's a very important way of looking at it because at the end of the day, no matter who you are, where you're from, what you're doing, it's always a very nice feeling to feel that inclusion with, within whichever community you're part of. And as you as you guys said, that becomes that that's a huge field of different aspects of that inclusion. And Malcolm, I'm also wondering what your opinion on it, uh, inclusion, diversity inclusion is. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I think in my daily life, I'm, I'm always thinking about marginalized groups and, and such. That's where my mind goes. But then um, as a master's student in uh, educational innovation, we're often talking about diversity in terms of primary or uh, high school students and how a teacher can make sure that every child is attended to, which is always difficult. It's the most difficult task for many teachers, or at least they indicate that. So it's funny to now think about it in terms of the university context, because I think it's a very different, yeah, very different context. So I think that's where my mind usually goes, but it's also very interesting to now think about this in terms of the university. Yeah, Yeah, because as I said before, and as we were all saying, um, it, it, it's a huge group of people. We're, we're, there's so many people that attend this university that attend you know, multiple sports, schooling. There's so many different faculties and facilities. And I was just wondering as well, is there any particular uh, ways that you go about in your daily life of promoting diversity and inclusion within, not even just uh, in your university setting, but on a daily, um, how, you, how you do that? That's an interesting question. So moving away maybe from the organizational setting to daily experiences. Well, I have to dig maybe a little bit deep now to, to think of back about daily focus. Well, being a parent also in a different culture, I am from Latvia and I'm uh, raising my child here in Netherlands. And um, yeah, so I'm trying to seek out these more diverse experiences also in, in this context. So maybe going to a hobby group that includes more diverse children to also show um, the range of things and then maybe seek out some activities that maybe sometimes are um, yeah maybe not the most uh, obvious ones more different cultural experiences do you feel you see enough of those um is there enough of those groups for like your child? I think you have to actively seek out so these uh and and then consciously decide to okay maybe i wanna instead of so choosing a mainstream sport maybe i wanna choose for a theater or uh, but i think there's still you know rather limited opportunities but yeah i try to then put uh, some uh, extra thought into it and i think we have a natural tendency to affiliate with similar others and it's uh, something i think that we should be aware of mm-hmm. and um, we research shows that we feel more comfortable with people that share similar values similar background attitudes um personalities so it is somehow you could say it's not comfortable maybe to be around people who are either visibly much different from you or maybe the invisible differences there are different backgrounds experiences values political opinions Mm. we would all probably agree Mm -hmm. that it can be confronting and strange to be around people who don't share these yeah so then there's this natural distance that one has to override if you want to increase maybe diverse experiences in your life yeah it's true and as you said we have a tendency to 
to stick with people who ha- yeah have similar backgrounds. It's always nice to be around people from the same country as you, or especially when you're abroad or whatever, because yeah, it's the tendency to to want to feel included. And I think with your your natural your group, the way you've been raised, that's always how you feel more included, maybe in a in a setting. Is yeah. that something you recognize, maybe from your first year of studies? I noticed that with first year students that maybe there's already so much going on and there's so much stress and anxiety and uncertainty that in the first year students tend to seek out and affiliate with those that are more similar. Yeah, I have so many stories, but um, I can definitely say that that's been my experience. It's understandable. I just think it's important to keep calling it out and be like, well, I understand that you might want to stick to this group, but maybe try to, to, to see how you can include others very broadly but i think if i would have to say every story or tell every story would be be here for forever yeah no i agree as well and i think definitely i I came here with the mentality of i won't i'm from ireland so i was like okay i'm not gonna make irish friends within two days i was in this irish group chat (laughs) with all these people (laughs) i was and i met like a lot of people through that and you know a couple of years on now of course my 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 friends and People I, I spend time with are usually from different backgrounds, but definitely there is a tendency in the first few days to seek out that sense of home almost where you you want to yeah sort of grasp onto it, maybe, yeah, especially in the first few days. But that also kind of leads me on to my, my next question as well, because obviously, yeah, as you said, uh, Liga, where in, when you're in your first year, there's so much going on. You, you want to grasp onto that, that sense of home, be, feel like you're being included, that kind of thing. Um, but do you think the university, like where do you think the university stands in that? Do you think there's a good level of diversity and inclusion within the university itself that uh, offers students the chance to yeah, become more diverse in their, in their lives? Well... I think when it comes to students, I may not always have the full overview of what is uh, possible and what is um, offered. I think that within psychology, we have uh, the study association, the FIP, and I know that they've in the last few years, they have done a bit more in, in terms of switching to English as the official language. I was in the board last year, it's <laughs> like the, one of the third, I think the third international actually, so that was quite nice. Mm-hmm. So everything, yeah, then it's quite, yeah, it was through English and I had a great year. I think it's a, te- a lot of change uh, happens in small steps. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe sometimes the change is better visible when you zoom out uh, from a few years. And I think, uh, well, we in the first year, academic skills, we in the learning communities, we try to um, be aware of it, mo- to create more diverse groups. But also, if people are um, from an underrepresented group, we, we do tend to pair them up for that initial uh, safety and having someone to affiliate with in the, in the first weeks of their study. Yeah, I'm more aware of the, the support the teachers have uh, because I think the teachers play indeed a very big role, teachers and mentors in groups, how uh, they design their teaching so that differences can um, thrive and that diversity can indeed be as a learning resource. That's how university puts it in the strategic plans and that it's... Uh, an important resource. Yeah, indeed. I think there are uh, some initiatives also in uh, psychology. Uh, psychology, there's the body project. Oh, yeah. So that couples new students with students that are familiar with uh, the university or uh, psychology in that case. 
and that's often experienced as very positive so i think that's a very nice example of something that's being done at the same time i think there's so much more that can still happen of course so this is in psychology but not in many other studies so yeah uh, well, what's your view on this as uh, a students i really wonder yeah, I'm welcome. I'm, um, I guess for me, yeah, I, I guess, I don't know, we're quite, you, you start your study and I d- was part of the buddy program actually as well in my first mm. year and that was nice to get to know the city and obviously just, yeah, get to know new people from the offset and I never necessarily felt like I wasn't included, like obviously psychology is also a massive program. I know most of the bachelor's programs are huge. There's so many people, but I know like with the with academic skills and the learning communities, we were, re- we were very segregated from Dutch people, actually, a lot of the time. Like, I have rarely met any Dutch people doing psychology, and that's also a huge part of the whole co- like cohort. So that's also, I, gu- I guess, struck me at one point. I thought, yeah, okay, in general, it's quite diverse. There's obviously like quite a lot of Germans and a few yeah, <laughs> <laughs> other groups of people, but you never really met any Dutch people in that sense. And it was only, only until I joined VIP, actually, that kind of branched out and met a lot more. But I guess... There was something I actively had to seek as well. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. given to me. That yeah. is a common problem. I think I hear that more often from students. And we, when we looked at surveys, so we asked first-year students, uh, both in the Dutch cohort and the international cohort, would you like to interact more with the other cohorts? And then we see like almost a two data point difference between the Dutch and internationals. So the internationals would like more than the Dutch students. So we often hear... And it's for understandable reasons, I think. Maybe for a lot of Dutch students, their social network is already settled and there's maybe not always space to make new friends or even even extra friends. So there is kind of maybe a little bit this difference in willingness to connect. Nevertheless, I think if there is more structural opportunities and there are more courses together... And in academic skills, before COVID, we, we had a, a session that we mixed the international and Dutch cohort. And some groups worked out really well. And I think some nice connections were made. But yeah, that is, uh, of course, with two large cohorts, there's often limits to how much they can spend time together. And in the third year, that's better, I think, because then uh, students choose courses, uh, right? So then in the Bachelor thesis, sometimes we have mixed groups. In my experience, some of the nicest projects were actually in a mixed group. So the international students could uh, kind of get more access to the social capital that the Dutch students offer because they know their way around and they have an interesting perspective also on the on the topics that we studied and vice versa. So I, I do believe that there is much value still to be gained from more mixed groups in psychology. Yeah, I understand that. And obviously, we can't speak for all study programs as well. This is just what we know. And I'm yeah. not sure how... Mm-hmm. Yeah, bachelors or uh, masters work in terms of yeah mixing um, people. But I know for a fact, like in maybe in first year, it's quite like a big ask. You know, if Dutch people also just move out, they might me- might not be that comfortable speaking in English. Yes. I've learned also last year that their their student life is much different than <laughs> I think us as internationals. There's a whole lot of traditional things that go on that I never would have guessed until I did my board year. And I guess it's it is quite a big big difference between yeah the two two communities almost I would say but yeah it's it's definitely gives some insight and I think maybe what could be uh, a nice idea is that maybe more opportunities such as the learning communities could be integrated more in second year and in third year because I know then people may, are maybe more comfortable for example speaking in English to internationals or 
being a bit more open-minded in that sense as well. So it is quite, yeah, maybe it just increases with time. Um, but mm-hmm. so Sophie, I also wanted to ask you, what was your um, basis of establishing the IBSS? Yeah, so we ba- uh, we founded IBSS two and a half years ago in spring around the Black Lives Matter protests around that time. And we got a faculty newsletter uh, and I was very excited to open the newsletter because I was like, oh, now I will read what we as a faculty do to promote uh, diversity and all the studies that uh, go on on this topic and I will uh, learn a lot. And I opened a newsletter and there was nothing. <laughs> there was only one small article on how to go to a protest um, during uh, the COVID pandemic, but not what the protest was about. So I was a bit disappointed because we're behavioral and social sciences, right? So discrimination, for instance, is a, a social problem, which really matches with our faculty. So I replied to uh, the newsletter saying, hey, I would actually like to get more information on on what is being done in this faculty. Uh, I need to learn more on this topic. So, yeah. And then I got a reaction from the dean of our faculty, actually, saying, uh, to be honest, I don't really know what's going on. I'm not even not sure if there is an overview of all the studies that are going on on these topics, but we should know. So maybe we should start something. Maybe we should start a working group. That's pretty much how it started. So then together with some other co-founders, Sophie Wiersma and uh, Julian Rengers and Lisa Kiltz, we, um, we started this group. Yeah, and it was, very, it was nice to see that something very small, like sending an email, does h- help mm. in some way. And of course also uh, a difficult thing to set up because like we uh, just discussed, it's such a broad topic and where to start, right? So true and then then i'm wondering then about your your daily so what what exactly do you do as a group and how do you yeah how do you enforce things or is it brainstorming sessions how how does it work yeah yeah so um it's a group of uh roughly around 10 people i would say of uh with different positions within the faculty so uh, students phd students um professors it's a combination we come together around yeah, once a month for uh, discussion. The broad main aim is to promote inclusion and diversity within a faculty, and the main way to do that is advising the faculty board. So we also come together with the faculty board once every like half year and give them advice. And to make our work a bit more specific, we work in different subgroups or different projects. So, for instance, we could have a student or curriculum uh, subgroup, right? Or an LGBTQIA plus event subgroup that raised the rainbow flag during Pride Month, um, uh, celebrate Purple Friday, for instance. Research subgroup that's looking into having a baseline measure of how we're doing with diversity and inclusion within our faculty. But at the same time, I I have to say, um, uh, so we do have a diversity and inclusion officer now, which is great, and she has some time for this. But for the IBSS members, this is voluntary and next to their uh, (laughs) studies and jobs. So it is difficult to to have long-term goals doing this voluntary and with people coming and going. Yeah. 
That's true, I can imagine that. But it's already nice to see that there's a, there's a basis there and they're actively working and I'd heard about it yeah, a while ago when I was at VIP last year. So we also, mm-hmm. I think, worked with the diversity, diversity Inclusion Group too. Yeah, to obviously for the association itself as well, which was very, yeah, inspirational That's actually. That's good to hear, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then leading on from that, I guess, like there's obviously between teachers and students, like how does this intersect? Like how do we enforce it adver- like how does that work from from your guys perspectives as well you guys a teacher from us and you as well sophie and us as students um how does the diversity and inclusion intersect between both of us like how do we yeah i can't I find the word for that but like bring it together i guess yeah that's a good question i think first of all that the university and also teachers have some task to make education more inclusive right so in the classroom, it comes together in that way. Uh, teachers, yeah, there are some some options for teachers some to to work on that. Some trainings, for instance. So that's that's one way. I'm looking at Liga. Yeah. <laughs> so then it's then the teacher's responsibility more, right? So I think in some other episode, I don't remember on on which it was the discussion, but it was also similar. Um, is it more teachers' responsibility, but also what is mm-hmm. the students um, mm-hmm. saying that? So can uh, one as a student signal, well, I think I may not feel included as much as I would like to. What can I do? What can I voice it? Do I feel safe enough to bring it up within my community, within my group as a student? Yeah, of course not. Uh, there's limits to how <laughs> safe one can feel maybe to bring it up to the teacher, but... I think maybe the the vision or what ideal situation that I would hope for is that there's been more of a shared responsibility to achieve inclusion in in a community that students. But I think the main responsibility lies within the organization, within the university, and the teacher, of course. So I guess that's like I a trickle down so, effect, yeah. Yeah, yeah, almost. Yeah. But how how do you think would be the best way to go about this? I think there is already so much going on. Um, so maybe I'll mention we created within the teaching academy together with colleagues uh, at Equip and some other stakeholders. We created a flowchart that uh, summarizes the different type of support that uh, staff can achieve for, uh, who aim to uh, make their inclu- in education more inclusive. So it's regard to policy, training, support, opportunities for colleagues to have like uh, collegial opportunities to discuss methods and tools. So that nice overview, uh, it's uh, with also in collaboration with the DNI office, with the main one. So I think if students are a little bit more aware of it, they can also help their teachers to point that, to point them towards that, that they also maybe expect a bit more out of their teachers, knowing mm-hmm. that, okay, there is a, this lot of support available. At the same time, to advocate for teachers and protect <laughs> and, mm-hmm. m- you know, raise this awareness of protecting people from the high workload, it's kind of another thing that comes on top of uh, already such a high workload for uh, educators. So um, I think there should be also more structural support within rewards and recognition at the university that teachers who invest a lot of time. So Sophie mentioned that for IBSS, people do this in their free time. So sometimes it feels like for teachers, they're also expected to professionalize for inclusive education in their free time. And then, yeah, it can lead up to even higher experienced workloads and resistance and... uh, maybe resentments well, from teachers to be expected to do so much. 
And then inclusion comes kind of another um, item on the already overcrowded plate. So then something also has to go, right? So um, maybe teachers who invest more in that and, and are kind of uh, pioneers in that and lead the way can have some other um, tasks removed from their duties. That's one concrete way how I could uh, see it and advise to decision makers. Yeah, I think the only thing I was thinking about in terms of students is like when they're in groups, because um, I think most of the conversation, when I think about it, it should be about indeed the responsibility of the organization and the teachers. Um, but when it comes to like um, students, w my experience has been when um, students are in groups, that maybe there should be more attention to understanding different individuals in the group I, I feel sometimes we kind of let the groups determine a lot and not really try to understand that certain individuals in the group might be dealing with certain things and it's hard because ultimately it's a lot to have to deal with everyone's issues or their background but that's one area I guess where, where students are concerned where I'm like well sometimes I feel we could have maybe tried to understand that guy in the group who maybe didn't get his to his deadline on time a bit better. Or maybe the teacher could ask one more question or the group itself, the students could ask yeah. one more question. So that's one area where I feel with, with students, we can maybe, this on the student side, that mm -hmm. we can do a bit better. Yeah, so that was that's one thought I had. Point. Yeah. Yeah. So what what is does it take then to, to get there? Is it more uh, perspective taking, more yeah. empathy? Giving each other a bit more time. Yeah, I, and I think yeah, patience at the end of the day, and and understanding that you might not always get it right the first time. Yeah, I, I can say for example, I remember I was in a group with this one one guy, and no one knew that he, you know, was going through certain things at home, but no one even dared or, or wanted to even ask him like, hey, is there something wrong? You know, that's the question I would usually ask like, is there something wrong? And then, of course, if you get no answer and the work is still not done, then, of, of course, you've you've done your best, I think, within that context. But mm -hmm. a lot of the times, I guess, students can be so busy with what they're doing and what's expected of the, the average university student that they don't ask those questions. And then someone does feel um, overlooked or not included or no one, that no one is trying to understand them. And that's one area where I'm like, I feel students could do a bit better in... in in regard to the educational aspect mm -hmm. of um, the university. Yeah. yeah. I think it would be also nice to model that somehow or to mm -hmm. show mm -hmm. students how can they do that. And, and one thing that came to mind now that you were speaking is um, I know that there's active bystander training available for staff. I, um, we actually it's finished on my list. it this morning. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Mm. And, and Sophie can tell more about it, so clearly. <laughs> but uh, it's... It's of course not feasible maybe that every student can uh, participate in such a training. With active bystander training, it means that you're a little bit more aware of things that in the group are not uh, going well and that you can, as an individual, do something about it. And there's different versions of what can you do. Yeah, some call empower students through s this or similar type of effort. What yeah. do you think, Sophie, would the kind of active bystander approach yeah apply? i think that's very useful and i'm also thinking the skills that you mentioned like patience and mm. these are just uh, skills that are so uh, valuable working together skills right mm. uh, social skills that we as a university also uh, should focus on in mm. on developing for our students 
and I think many students can use these skills later in their life uh, when working as well. For instance, they can be very important leadership skills to be able to be patient and to listen and to be understanding. So in that sense, I think it's also very useful, not only uh, for that course, but it's I think it's a very important skill. The active bystander training. Yeah. So we uh, did this training with our sociology department, which was very interesting. I also really liked that everyone had to go there. So sometimes with these trainings, you see that the people are very interested in this go there. But sometimes these are teachers that already put an effort. Right. And we call them the usual suspects. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, the usual suspects. You you see the same faces every training. (laughs) And here everyone had had to go, which also led to very interesting discussions. For us in sociology, it did focus more on... Uh, social safety between colleagues and more focus on the, the teachers and not so in the staff, not not so much the students, actually. It did relate to that, of course, so we did discuss it a little bit, but could have been discussed more, I think, yeah. So, yeah, I think the active bystander training is very useful and it could be used for teachers focusing on teaching as well but as i experienced it now it focused more on on staff and uh, for instance hierarchy structures within within yeah that's also important i think i was just going to say like we we can focus a lot on students and how students feel but also it has to relate back to staff and i think as we mentioned earlier it's a bit of a trickle-down effect that staff have to feel included and Mm -hmm. um everything for I think it just it, it's just better in general than it creates a whole better atmosphere um, for everyone. And then I have a bit of a controversial question. Um, so you said the usual suspects come to the same trainings and stuff, of course, and I, we see that in yeah a lot of different ways of yeah walks of life where it's sometimes the same people showing up for the same stuff. But what do you think um, stops people from from participating, you know, equally or from from engaging with these sort of training or what are the kind of barriers that people face, do you think? Yeah, I think several things that c- come to mind. Well, one, what I mentioned is maybe also workloads, feeling that it's, there's another thing expected of me at a point where yeah, teachers may feel that they don't have the time for it or they may not feel recognized for it. But it's also, I think, specific to this topic with inclusion and diversity. It can be a somewhat uncomfortable or threatening theme, um, and I don't always understand fully the reasons behind it. And I, th- I know that the university newspaper often writes about these topics and there is uh, a lot of resistance. Because I think one reason that, uh, is that you may feel like if you put attention to inclusion, you may overlook some other groups. So you may focus on one group t- doing a good thing, t- feeling like you're doing the right thing. But then coincidentally or without meaning to, you exclude uh, others or maybe include the majority even. Um, I think that is for a lot of people a concern. Or being so broad, you don't know where to start with. Sometimes (laughs) it's maybe a bit harsh statement, but with doing work in inclusion and diversity, you feel damned if you do and damned if you don't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because if once you do, we we noticed that with mixing the international and Dutch groups that students, those who enjoyed it, asked, well, that's it. So you mix us for one session (laughs) and you expect then uh, big changes to happen. We want more. We want some structural uh, things in the curriculum to experience more diversity and make most of it. So almost, you know, with these good intentions, we felt, yeah, that it was not enough, um, may feel like, to some instructors. 
So these are some of the things that came to my mind now. I'm sure there's more. Yeah, I also was talking to Tassos yesterday about it um, because it is yeah, quite an interesting one as well. And he said that sometimes people might feel scared because there mm-hmm. is so much going on. There is so much you have to think about actively now, I think, or y- you just do in all the time. And as a teacher, it's you obviously, as you said, you have a high workload as it is, but it's quite overwhelming then if, and if you feel like you get something wrong or if you're approached yeah. after class and someone says, yeah, well, that wasn't correct. It, it can be a very, I think, horrible feeling. And I think maybe sometimes people are scared to to embark yeah. on it uh, in general? I think a simple example is from a colleague um, from a different faculty who was doing a presentation talking about uh, uh, women uh, in STEM subjects and, and choosing pictures and then overlooking, and someone pro- from the audience pointed out that the, well, the pictures are, are of the women are all very uh, s- uh, skinny. So then kind of without even noticing yeah right she didn't uh, or i was also involved and it was also my uh, responsibility i could have also noticed that maybe we're portraying a certain kind of women in these images they were drawn pictures so yeah i think i i can relate to that mm. feeling insecurity that you may um, harm or or um, offend or mm. uh, a certain group of people i think because um, I have so many conversations in daily life about a lot of topics that touch on diversity and inclusion. And what I, what I realize a lot of the time is that people don't want to feel like a bad person. Like they yeah. often think in terms of you're either good or bad, subconsciously or consciously. And then they think, oh, if I do this wrong, then I'm a bad person. And I don't want to feel that way. So I'm going to avoid this or I'm going to react very angrily when, when we have this conversation. When if you ask a lot of the, the, the groups or someone from the group that is maybe marginalized, for example, what they really want is just, once again, patience, you trying to understand. And if, if that's the attitude, then people are already not very offended. Like, um, um, for example, um, I have some friends who are non-binary. If I, in some situations where you have known them and you've used a certain pronoun for your entire life for them, there could be times when you maybe you have a hiccup, but what they would always tell me is, we love that you always call it out and say, hey, sorry, I'm going to try to correct that, for example. And then it made me realize, like, I might be afraid to be seen as a bad person in that, in that case, but it's, that's not really what the pr- other person is wanting. Mm-hmm. And I think that applies for a lot of these things. We, we need to maybe try to take ourselves out of it a bit more and try to be like, hey, we're not a bad person. You're, you're also learning. Mm-hmm. And I think most people who are from groups or wanted to be, who want to be included, I think they understand that and actually would agree that that's the best way to go about things. So that's one thing I was thinking about in any case. Yeah, and that's quite, I would also relate to that as well, mm-hmm. where you you feel awful. So you almost want to avoid talking to that person or because you don't mm-hmm. want to st- slip up, you know, and that ju- that's just counterproductive, honestly. Yeah. Like, that's not the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I can I totally relate to that. And then... Obviously, yeah, you want to overcome these barriers. Like, what what do you think are the ways of doing going about it? As you said, yeah, I think having some self acceptance in the moment and saying, look, I, it's human error. Sometimes I'm gonna gonna mess up. You know, like it's it's not on purpose. And okay, yes, it's it's not. It doesn't feel good if you hurt a certain group of people or hurt someone. Just just a slip of mind or not even you know being so consciously aware. But is there anything else do you think that we can we can use to overcome these? Yeah these maybe negative feelings or, you know, barriers? 
I guess this uh, social safety and having a safe learning environment really relates to that because if there is a safe learning environment and we recognize that we will all mess up uh, these pronouns at some point, but we recognize it and say sorry and we give each other recommendations on how we can improve and the focus is more on safely learning so we can make mistakes, but we're all here to learn rather than indeed avoiding it because we're uncomfortable. I think that would be yeah, a nice start, yeah. I will. I will add that um, there. Will, I think there will always be times too when someone from that group might still be angry because mm-hmm. you you did that, and maybe they don't know you, and and they still felt angry. And I think it's also important to also accept that, and be, and it might be hard, but then to be like, well, you know, within that process, there will maybe also be people who you offend, and who might not be able to let that go, and that's also part of it. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to continue growing and trying to learn. I think that's also very important in the in the process, if yeah. if you understand yeah. what I mean. Reflection yeah. and yeah. continue learning. Yeah, I yeah. think that's key. Yeah. Yeah, I also agree that it's you have to accept yourself first as well and say mm-hmm. like, actually, I am trying, mm-hmm. and that's the whole foundation. I think almost of being able to be more inclusive and diverse in your own opinions. You know, just by having some self acceptance, so that you can also you know, be open-minded to other people's opinions, how people are, and, yeah, just in general being more inclusive to people. Yeah. I think in terms of the university, sometimes, like like I just said, um, something might go wrong once, and then subconsciously people will just assume that that's just how it is. Um, when there's a certain student that wasn't performing well, then the next time I, I see students and teachers alike not really taking them seriously, when I, I always think let's maybe make the effort to once again try to ask the question what's going on um, and it's not always your responsibility but at least have that try at least try I guess that's the the main main word like try I feel like a lot of times there's not that willingness to try at least you know and then this inaction or hesitation um, mm-hmm. is, is yeah really not an unfortunate outcome of that. So mm. I think uh, if we apply as many of these things that we talked about um, to normalize, to give each other the space and room to make uh, errors instead of not engaging and not going to any of the trainings or not trying to professionalize uh, ourselves, yeah, that shouldn't be at the price of it, I think. No, I agree. And another question also stemming on from this and just for as an, an open just a whole table, do you have any particular role models that inspire you to to be this way or you know to follow them per se? Well, I wish more of talking about role models, I wish more more students would have role models in uh, from underrepresented groups in the among the academic staff. Recently, we organized uh, in the accessibility week, we organized a panel for staff and students studying with impairment or some obstacle. And uh, yeah, that was kind of came up in the panel as well, that often there is not much of role models for uh, for students who have an obstacle in their study, really broadly from health to mental health to neurodiversity, right? So there a lot of these things are paired with stigma. And of course, then it's understandable that people are hesitant to be open about uh, what their experience is working and studying at the university. So I think this takes a lot of braveness uh, from uh, from both staff and students. 
and to showcase such role models. But at the same time, I think that the inspiration should be in the, in the small daily things. I think we can find a role model maybe not necessarily within the same category that we identify with. I, I try to find inspiration actually through my students, the obstacles or sacrifices that they take to be here at the university. Yeah, I think that helps me to, to keep on doing this work or focusing on these topics. But yeah, I wish for the students that there would be a bit more role models to, to inspire them, especially those that deal with obstacles in their studies. Yeah, I really agree that we need more role models and on many different levels, so for students, but also even for PhD students, there are not so many female, uh, let alone female black professors, for instance, right? Um, so yeah, we definitely need more. From an IBSS perspective, I think my role model, role model or inspiration would also be more on an organizational level. So for instance, the Faculty of Economics, FAB, um, they have this. They made a, a survey, a baseline measure on how inclusive and diverse the, the faculty is. Also, there as a faculty can still improve a lot, but these are things that are really inspiring for me. So I think, yeah, maybe that's not a role model in uh, one person, but more <laughs> on a organizational level. Yeah. No, but I think as well that's that's something nice to take away that it's also a recommendation that faculties can work together a bit more mm-hmm. because obviously. Yeah, this you especially as teachers. I'm not, obviously there's a lot of teachers and a lot of students per faculty, but a lot of the time you work with the same people, as you said, um, the same the usual suspects, right? But then across the board, across the whole university, there's probably the usual suspects in every faculty, and it would be mm-hmm. nice maybe to have a collective to get ideas. And I'm not sure if there is already one in place. I oh, there is. Okay, <laughs> okay, yes, you can tell me about it. Well, it's uh, I think probably differs per theme so with teaching it would be opportunity one opportunity for teachers to exchange experiences and expertise is through the teaching academy that is across faculties but i think that probably a lot of faculties have within faculties also working groups as ibss in our faculty also focusing on teaching young academy Groningen focuses also more on, on staff issues also on policy i think with regard to inclusion and diversity um yeah and uh, with regard to diversity and inclusion there's also the chief uh, dni officer uh Wacker. so that uh, she's working on a university level as well and also communicating with the, inc- the organizations at faculty levels and trying to combine uh, those and connect them so yeah, yeah that's good to hear because as, as i guess as a student as well you're not really aware of how much is happening mm-hmm. above you if that makes sense mm-hmm. you know like you're sort of in your own bubble doing your thing so it's nice to hear that obviously that there's a lot going on in the background. I mean, as you said, Liga, you don't necessarily notice the change immediately. That's, that's It's a slow process. But yeah. I guess even if I look back over my, my last four years, like I can see definitely that it is going in, in the correct direction, I would say. There's obviously, as we said, there's still more work that needs to be done, but that's the same for everyone and the organisation as a whole. So it is nice to see that it is going at its own pace but in the in the right direction i would say i think large organizations are slow to change well, rome does rome wasn't yeah. built in a day so and i think both process so the top down and the bottom up could um mm. meet each other mm-hmm. more so that uh yeah i'm curious as a, as a student do you feel that you have a voice or if you from your peers maybe you hear who have some uh, concrete ideas on how they want to be more represented or they want to experience their teaching in a different way are these top-down initiatives reaching the students and can students uh, participate and engage at through different channels i assume but yeah it's so interesting because in my master's year right now i feel like a lot of the students actually don't want to have anything to do with 
they, they just want to be left alone. They're like, ah, I don't need to be included. I don't, I don't need to think about how I can be more included in a lecture. But I do think when I talk to most students, they, they feel um, that sometimes they're not really listened to. But then it's hard to speak from my own experience because I, in my course, um, or yeah, in my master's, it's a very small group. And I don't really feel like many people care too much about that, if, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know how it is for you, Amy. Yeah, it's also hard to say. Like, it, as we said, it's a huge organization. And, mm. you know, you are one of many, 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 many people. <laughs> but I always know that I feel like I've never, never not felt included or I've never not felt like I couldn't say anything, you know? Like, I wouldn't necessarily know who to go to. Maybe this is something else. But, yeah, I, I guess as well, like, I know, I know from working with VIP last year that we, we also tried to actively engage with, yeah, with, in diverse, diversity and inclusion, had our own working group, also worked with the faculty for it. And I guess then from... I was in a semi-organisational point of view where I was like, OK, well, we were doing our best. We sent out, for example, yeah, a survey and not many people answer. So it's you do so much. But, yeah, as you said, Ligo, it also... It, I guess let semi like, like lies responsibility with the students as well as you um, Malcolm expressed with your group like we also have to want to give back as well if that makes sense and have to want to partake in these things okay sometimes you don't want to answer the survey because it's just in your email and you think oh yeah well I'm <laughs> one of multiple it's going to be okay but I think a lot of people have that mentality as well yeah I think it goes back to some the question you asked somewhere in the beginning like what do we do in our daily lives and and that's why um, when I thought about it a bit more, I was like, that's why I tried to even with the small things kind of like push that. Like, hey, it might seem small, but I think by using this as a one more thing to practice it with, you can maybe become, generally speaking, more aware of those issues and, and help in that way. So even with those things, like pushing your fellow students to be like, hey, can you fill it out? Even if you, you know, you don't answer it like for, you don't go into very big like like very like you don't get a very detailed answer at least try to give back because then there's more of a, a voice and we might actually see some level of change for more people even if you don't really feel like you need it for yourself um so it's a to me sometimes it's about those small things that might actually reverberate and become mm. something bigger ultimately even if it's in five to ten years yeah. or longer so the process yeah. is is mm. long yeah but it's it's yeah, the, the small steps you need to take to go for to make it go in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Small changes uh, already in teaching, for example, can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. That is something we see in in many of these approaches. One thought that I'm playing lately with is uh, inspired by colleagues uh, at the equipping team uh, and the role of language. So uh, in the international cohort, for example, we have uh, almost no one is a native speaker of English. Neither am I. Yet, yeah, there's some kind of a missed resource there of the people's own language that they could bring in. So there could be some space maybe for students to let write something in their own language. We have now, of course, a lot of room to translate things. It may not be something that's graded for uh, academic English, for example, but it could be a way to use that to showcase something about their identity or their personality or their background or as part of a self-reflection if um, we want to maybe celebrate a bit more of the diversity in the group or that people become a bit more aware of that if you're learning a new language you are slow <laughs> and that we give each other the time and, and space to practice so I was grateful still to my office mates who let me speak Dutch uh, in a slow way <laughs> and in a cranky kind of way and helped me improve. Um, and recently when I was in Latvia, I noticed the train conductor had a, a tag saying that I speak um, Ukrainian and Russian. 
was a Ukrainian war refugee, but I'm learning uh, Latvian. And um, nice. so then you know, okay, I can maybe try because that person is learning and maybe it kind of ex primes this willingness to maybe help someone with the language. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so some of these small things in the curriculum can uh, can make a big difference yeah. in terms of feeling included, but also as a learning resource. And even how small the gesture may seem, it can have a huge impact on, on people in a lot of ways. So I think that's quite a good takeaway message as well from this, that even if it's small, it can be very meaningful. Yeah. We're almost at an hour, actually, I think. So I think actually we're quite a nice time to to start wrapping up but does anyone else have anything they want to add or say because we do have a lot on this but that's what we were, we were discussing before it can go on for so mm -hmm. long did yeah. we feel we could sketch the topics or do we need to no i, I think like what i would want to maybe do was like end on um how your own experiences have, have helped you yeah in in this way and if you have any recommendations or any tips like we usually just kind of end on some like tips and stuff <laughs> the tips it's very like light way of saying yeah. it but you know what i mean but if there's anything like immediate you, you guys think we should mention, then for sure, yeah. Is there anything from like more the student perspective as that is missing still? Or I think we mentioned quite some. I think there's a lot of nice things. Teams like, yeah. and organizations there. Decolonization, but yeah, that's a very specific topic and yeah. that will be focused specifically on maybe later. Yeah, yeah, I always think it's important to mention that just because you didn't touch on everything doesn't mean that it doesn't matter that you started here or like yeah. that we had this conversation. And indeed, it's important to mention that there's more to come or that there's more yeah. to say, but that you place value on what was discussed and use that as, as a springboard for further conversation. Um, and ultimately, going back to what I said earlier, I think it's important to, in our daily lives, have conversations with people on any of these topics because, yes, we, we might be talking about higher education, but I feel like you can't disconnect it from your daily life, too. That's how, how I approach life, at least. So even if I'm with friends and I hear one person talking about, for example, what you were mentioning about, like, oh, there's a picture with only skinny women. Oh, that's normal. That's attractive or whatnot. To maybe call that out and be like, no, that's actually not okay. And, you know, we should maybe be pushing for um, having women of different sizes in such a picture, because if we create that awareness in our own groups, I at least believe, maybe it's too optimistic, that at least hopefully someday, if we're all calling it out and always calling attention to it, yeah. that it wouldn't go unnoticed when that thing happens again. Because it has been, because no one is maybe bringing it up enough, or, or it's, such, it's such a norm already. So I feel like by really including these things in our daily lives, we can have an effect on on um, these things in specific um, situations, such as in higher education or in, in other places of life, basically. So I think that would be my main thing for, for this conversation, yeah. I would say. Yeah. I like that you also, that point you made about that people are afraid to be bad people. Mm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if uh, these kind of things uh, put them on the spot of mm. uh, feeling not good about themselves. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but still, I'm so yeah. grateful to that colleague who brought it up because yeah. it opened my eyes. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, it's kind of almost <sighs> a gift, you know, then mm -hmm. to uh, give that kind of feedback to each other. But, yeah. Yeah, I guess as, as you said, Malcolm, like, yeah, um, you can be afraid to be a bad person, but you shouldn't be. But also this is the whole thing, like, you, you, you should bring attention to it more and more, and I think, yes, of course, it is 
a lot of us are way more aware than than years and years prior but there still is stuff continually on a daily basis that do happen and yes part of us we do have to accept that but it's the whole accepting of growth and being able to say something and stand up for something is very important i think as well but obviously not bring that other person down to make them you know not as you said not approach it in an aggressive sense or make them feel bad it's Mm -hmm. more of a correction thing so that we can all grow as a community in general Mm -hmm. yeah a learning opportunity exactly Yeah, I'd like to see that more among students and mm-hmm. colleagues. Um, and I can do myself more about that at the risk of mm. <laughs> trying uh, becoming, uh, you know, not so like the colleague maybe, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll take the risk, I think. Yeah, and I do think there's also from the organization some responsibility, right, to to this safe environment for us to be able to make these mistakes and to learn. But if we also have this from a more individual or personal perspective, this perspective that we uh, keep the conversation going and keep on learning, that will definitely help. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's very inspiring. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to start rounding off here. Um, Obviously, we didn't get to touch on everything today, but if we didn't mention it, it doesn't mean it's not important. As Malcolm said, we're very excited to to release more episodes on diversity inclusion in. Yeah. In, in the next year and years to come to raise awareness of it and to bring it to obviously to the public attention as well but I will just ask a final question to our guests how have your own experiences helped you and what recommendations would you give to people to help them in their own learning process and I'll maybe start with uh, Liga on this one if you have an answer well my own experiences being coming to Netherlands as a student and the research master um, I think definitely contributed to me being a bit more aware of differences learning to find my way in the higher education maybe not making similar mistakes as my teachers done back then yet giving myself the the permission and the space to learn uh, about these topics and I think what keeps me uh, involved is this topic is a kind of a curiosity because I think you never stop learning if you're interested in, in culture for example or uh, differences in how they shape our learning experience and our identities and so I think within in addition to the work that I do in psychology this has been really uh, a, a lot of added value for for me uh, to grow also as a person and as a professional. I would like to see maybe a bit more groups in included <laughs> in the inclusion activities. So uh, often it's indeed the underrepresented groups, but I would, for example, really like to see a bit more Dutch male colleagues joining the conversation about uh, these topics and also... Um, yeah, and uh, what what was uh, the theme in this conversation is maybe realizing that if we make these mistakes uh, and we end up not including someone, that it doesn't reflect badly on us as a person, but uh, that it's uh, normal to give each other that space to learn and make mistakes. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, I think from my own experience, what's also important is recognizing the and being aware of the privileges I have and being able to uh, use them in a positive way, for instance, with this diversity inclusion group. And in using that, also seeing that these small gestures matter. So sending one email can lead to a diversity and inclusion group. Uh, Putting my pronouns in my email can lead to multiple students coming up to me uh, telling me they really appreciate that and feel more socially safe in my classroom. So um, these small gestures really matter. Yeah, and I think I said most of what I wanted to say, but I I would say um, it's always knowing that when it comes to diversity and inclusion, even within the university um, context, that we're 
it's never done. I think that's also important to mention. And just because it's never done and you always have to keep learning, that once again doesn't mean that you're not good enough. That just means you're doing your best by always wanting to, to change, to learn, um, to maybe just switch a thought about how you're dealing with your um, fellow students in this case or how a teacher is looking at a student, how the students are even looking at the teachers as human beings too as well. That's another um, topic, of course. So I think, yeah, that, that aspect of we're always moving forward and we're never done because part of this is that there will always be something else that you don't know about that we, may, we might need to learn about and we need to maybe try to see how we can fit that within the context because those 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 groups, those people are also important. I'd say. Yeah, I like that, the continuation of learning. That's yeah. mm -hmm. uh, what uh, appeals a lot to me in this topic as well. Yeah, mm. yeah I, I have to agree with that. It's, as you said, moving here as an international already, you're not necessarily at a disadvantage, I would say, here at all, like that everyone's always willing to speak English to you, whatever. But you do feel like you you have to make maybe go an extra bit to make yourself feel included sometimes. Mm. And I think, yeah, that it's something we all learn and we, we grow with as well. Um, so, yeah, reflecting what you, uh, what you guys have all said, um, I agree with everything, of course. And I think, Liga, as you said, coming as an international student a few years ago here, um, obviously I had to make an active effort to, to feel included in a way, but also there was a lot of opportunities for me to do that. And obviously you have to grasp them. And I think also once you do that, it, it gives you a better basis of being able to be more inclusive. Like I came from a very small home. My, my hometown's very small. Everyone's very similar minded. Everyone, you know, there's, there's not much diversity, point blank, and that's okay in a way, but like, that's just how it is. Um, whereas coming here, I felt like, okay, there's a lot more people, a lot more um, paths of life that I'm going to get to know. And I think we, re we really have to embrace that too. And obviously we're seeing that more and more, which is, which is really inspiring. And of course, like as a whole reflection, I think what my, my main takeaway messages from this is it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to feel sometimes like you never fail. That's the thing, as you said, it, you never fail in in what you do it's more of a reflection process where you think okay that was wrong but i can grow from this and i'll try not to make the same mistake again of course and it's like that in a lot of things but we're never as you said malcolm we're never done talking about it we're never done being active in the in our approach to it so i think just give yourself some self-love as well <laughs> continue with it and um we will gradually get there as a whole community as well to make it, it, you know, the university and our own lives as well as diverse and inclusive as possible so thank you very much for coming guys it's been a, a lovely episode thank you very much for listening yes Tassos plugged our socials in the last episode so I will also do the same uh, we'd be very appreciative of follow on Instagram um, our Spotify and SoundCloud also they're linked in the bio uh, we're trying to be a bit more active and spread the awareness so it would be uh, nice if you can do that or share with your friends just for me thank you very much for a lovely season I've had so much fun recording and editing it's been a great learning experience as, as a reflection and I'm delighted to hand the baton to Malcolm I'm very excited for you and I hope you have just as good as experience as I did yeah. Um, so yeah that's it also a th big thank you to Tassos as well for all his, uh, his patience and helping me always with every little issue that's occurred and very inspiring conversations as well so it's been overall an amazing experience yeah. and thank you very much for being here today I've had a lot of fun and yes thank you thank you so much thank for you. having us you're thank welcome you. and much success in the future of course thank you this podcast was a production of the University of Harmony.